every time I watch that clip, I want to try that with that keyboard. Does anybody else have that? Eh, maybe that's just me. Uh, when it comes to movies, uh, Lindsay and I typically, generally watch romantic comedies because it's what we can agree on. For me personally, I'm more into the high fantasy epic, you know, things like Princess Bride. Just kidding. It is a great movie, though. But in all of those movies, that storyline is the same. Two people fall in love, and suddenly there's this problem, a problem that seems insurmountable, impossible. There's no way we can deal with this situation, and somehow the two of them work it out, and they're able to come together. And the second storyline is kind of like that, you know, generally hopeless guy, notices girl, loves girl, girl doesn't notice him, somehow finally she get, he gets her to notice him, and they fall in love, and everything ends happily ever after. It's a storyline that's all over the place in our movies. But what I think is problematic, what is dangerous about that is that underneath that there's something deeper, something darker, something that I think we as Americans have started believing, at least culturally, and it's the idea it's this idea, this thought that there's this one thing out there, this one thing that if I can just get that one thing, a house, a lover, a car, a job, a career, a promotion, if I can just get that one thing, everything's going to be okay. And I think it's a thinking that we all can fall into to some degree. I, for one, know that I have. I thought, if I can just get that, then things are going to be all right. You see, when we talk about love, what we really are talking about is hope. Because love is about desires, our deepest desires, and hope is what we expect will satisfy those deepest desires. And our problem as people is that we are all too often loving the wrong things. And in loving the wrong things, we're anchoring our hope to the wrong things. Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're even great things. But they're not the ultimate thing. They're not the thing that needs to be in that place in our lives. And when we anchor things to things that cannot fulfill what we're hoping for, we're going to find ourselves disappointed. And what I've found, at least in my life, when I've anchored my hope to those things that are not that ultimate thing that I need to, I find that it doesn't satisfy those deepest desires. And as Solomon said, it's all a chasing after the wind. And as we look out culturally, we can see people that are chasing after the wind. It's always about the newest thing, the best thing, the next thing. And they think they're happy, and then a new thing comes out, and then they got to have that new thing. And so the question that I have, the thing that we have to wrestle with before we get into our text is, how did we get here? How do we get here as a cultural? And his book, The American Dream, A Meditation on Hope, Andrew Del Blanco chronicles how as an American culture, through the years we've shifted from our ultimate hope being in God, to nation, and to self. And as we look around, culture is king. Choice is king in our lives and our worlds. Being able to choose what we wear, what we'll do, where we'll live. All those things make a big deal for us. You see it even in kids. 
kids are all excited when denim for dollars rolls around because they get to wear a t-shirt to school and they get to choose a little bit. Or when we have a theme week and they get to wear different things through the week and try on different clothes and, and kind of express themselves. And that's fine and that's fun. But where it gets dangerous as we look at those same kids and we tell them, you can be anything you want to be. And then they go off to college and we tell them, all you need to do is figure out that one thing that'll be a fulfilling life for you. Figure out what's going to be fulfilling for you and, and you go and do that and then you're going to have a great life. So we have dream careers and dream jobs, dream houses and dream places to live. And it's a mess. Because people get those dreams. They have those dreams fulfilled, those dreams answered, and there's still something missing. They get there and they find out that they're still unhappy. This is especially problematic for people in college. I had this conversation with my kid brother multiple times. He's like, I've graduated from college, I'm out in the real world, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. When did you know that you were going to be a pastor? And I said, I knew back in high school, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do, actually. And see, we put so much weight on finding that thing that it can be crippling. And see, the problem is, is that we're placing ourselves at the center. And we put ourselves at the center we're going to end in disaster. We're creating ourselves as God, ourselves as king. And what we need is a reboot. We need a different operating system, something different at the center of our hearts. Repent is the biblical word for reboot. It's hitting control, all delete in our lives. It's pressing down that power button and hoping that when the system fires back up, it starts functioning normally. And that brings us to our key verse, repent. Repent, reboot, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So our text for today was that text, the text that I've been through all kinds of times. It's about Peter being reinstated by Jesus. And as I looked at that text, I was like, okay, I see how this fits. But it's an Easter text, it's something we read after Jesus is risen from the dead, and I see how it fits in the theme and all that. And so I wasn't at first really digging it, but as I looked at the text, something different began to emerge. I began to see Peter. I began to see Peter, a man in desperate need of a reboot. So come with me. Let's see Peter. Let's see the mess that he's in. It all starts on that fateful night when Jesus is crucified and Peter denies Jesus. And then there's the empty tomb. Peter and John run to the tomb and John goes in the tomb and Peter looks in and it says that John believes but we don't know about Peter. And then there's that first appearance where Jesus appears to all the disciples except for Thomas. And Jesus comes into the room and he says, peace be with you. And yet Jesus 
Jesus peace, Peter doesn't feel like it's for him. And then there's that second appearance when Thomas is there and Jesus and Thomas have this exchange. And Jesus says to Thomas, take your finger and put it here. Take your hand and put it here. See that it is I that is Jesus and that I am risen and alive. And Thomas has that marvelous confession of faith. My Lord and my God. And there's hope for the doubter. But is there hope for the denier? And that brings us to the scene that sets up our text for this morning. Jesus appears on the shore to the disciples and, and he says, Hey, I know you guys haven't had any luck tonight. Try throwing your net on the other side of the boat. And they think, like, Hey, this has worked before. Let's do that. They throw it on the other side of the boat, and and then John realizes that it's Jesus and says, it's the Lord, and that's when Peter's system goes haywire. See, he doesn't know what to do, but he knows that he needs Jesus. Have you ever been in a place like that? In a place where things aren't working out the way that you planned, life is a wreck, where you're thirsty and unable to quench it. You know you want something, but you can't find anything that that quenches that thirst. Or when you're starving to death and you're not dying, but you're not really alive either. That's exactly where Peter is when he pitches himself in the water. He doesn't know what to do, but he knows that he needs Jesus. And it's something I hadn't really thought about before. But as I read this text and kind of thought about it, I'm like, this is kind of crazy. He's wearing something sort of like a bathing suit as he's um, fishing. But he throws on a robe and jumps into the water. You know, kind of like the robes we wear in the sanctuary. I thought about trying to swim in that thing, but then thought maybe that's probably not such a good idea. I didn't want to drown. But really, it's a terrible idea. And you got to think about this. Peter is not Michael Phelps. So Peter jumps into the water wearing a robe, probably didn't tie the belt around his waist, so it's all over the place, and Peter's moving one giant splash to the shore. And then Peter gets to the shore swimming, and he's huffing, and he's puffing, he's muddy, and he's wet, one giant walking puddle. You know, hairs dripping wet, beards soaking, robes soaking wet. I don't know about you, but if I wanted to make a good impression, that's not how I'd plan on arriving, right? Peter's standing there, sopping wet. See, Peter knew that the one thing that he needed was Jesus. That Jesus was the only thing that he needed. But Peter was afraid that he lost him. That he'd strayed too far, that he'd gone too far, that he, the denier, was beyond redemption. There was restoration for the doubter, but is there restoration for me? And so as the boat arrives at shore, probably right behind Peter, I don't think he made that great a time. Jesus says, hey, I've got some coals here. Go grab some fish. And so Peter, he goes and he grabs the net and he drags the net that's full of fish. And he, he counts the fish. And he gives the fish to Jesus. And they eat. And Peter 
Peter who always has something to say, something to do, can't find a word to say to Jesus. And that brings us to our text. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus breaks the silence. But the words, the words he says, I, I kind of imagine if you're Peter, the words that he says almost take your breath away as, as you hear them. He says, Simon. He says, Simon, not Peter. He says, Simon, the name that my father gave me, not Peter, the name that you gave me. Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. As we hear those words, I'd like us to think for a moment that Jesus is doing something so much greater. He's saying to Peter, Peter, let's start at the beginning. Let's start all the way over. Let's start back at the beginning. Not at the boat when you got on it last night, but the boat when you were there with your father, John. Let's start as if this whole thing never happened. Because that's what forgiveness in Jesus means. And he's saying, more than just, Peter, I forgive you. When he says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, he's saying, Peter, I trust you. We've all been on the other side of that one, right? I forgive you, but I don't trust you. You're going to have to earn that trust back. Anybody else ever heard that? I still remember the first time it happened in my life. I was the one saying it. My mom turned all my clothes pink, and pink's okay for a shirt, but pink for jeans... And the laundry basket moved into my room, and she never did my laundry again. I think that was her goal. (laughs) But it was like, I forgive you, Mom, but I don't trust you. And that's a silly example, but when that happens to us, somebody says that to me, that hurts. It kind of makes us question that forgiveness. But what Peter is saying, rather what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, I trust you with the most precious thing, the most important thing. I trust you to carry on my mission. I trust you to do the most important thing that there is to do. I trust you and the way that that I trust you and the way that you love me is by loving the people that I place in your life, by loving the least and the last and the lonely. You love me by loving them, and that's how you're going to demonstrate your love for me, is by loving these people, these lost sheep. 
the broken shoulder, soldier who's been ravaged by war, broken body and broken mind, by loving the elderly neighbor, the one that looks like she's going to fall over as she wheels the garbage can to the curb, by running over there and helping her push it down to the curb and having a kind conversation with her because she's lonely. It's about sitting down with the youth that's trying to figure out what life is all about and where they're supposed to go. Because this news, this forgiveness that comes in Jesus is for all people who are far off. And Peter thought he was the furthest. And so then Jesus, as he calls him back, lets Peter know that this news is for everyone. And so later as Peter goes about the ministry, he can say, this is for those who are far off. You cannot go further than me. And so this good news is for everyone. See, Peter knew in this that he wasn't too far gone. You see, it wasn't about how Peter earned his way or worked his way back into forgiveness. Peter was completely forgiven in Jesus at the beginning. Jesus didn't repeat himself three times because Jesus needed to go through it, but because Peter needed to hear it. So that everything that Peter had done was completely undone. So that as Peter thought back on it, there was no doubt in his mind that he was completely reinstated. You see, it isn't about how Jesus feels about Peter. It's all about how Peter feels about Jesus. Because Peter was already at the center of Jesus' heart. You are already at the center of Jesus' heart. And Jesus wanted to help Peter place himself. Jesus at the center of Peter's life. Because what Jesus knows for Peter and what Jesus knows for you and for me is that when we put anything else there, it will lead to brokenness and disappointment. And Jesus doesn't want that for Peter. Jesus doesn't want that for you or for me. You are at the center of Jesus' heart. He came to earth, he went to the cross, he rose from the dead for you to demonstrate his love for you. His arms were stretched out to redeem you and me. And that's when verse 18 grabbed me. You see, we have a lot in common with Peter as a culture. Peter's a man who is always about doing things his own way, kind of jumping before he thought and, and going after passions. He was a passionate person. So from verse 18, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. In our culture, life can become all about doing what we want. Placing our hope in ourselves and our own dreams, our own ambitions. And Peter's getting told here that when you were younger, that was fine. But that's all going to end in disappointment if that is what your life is all about. If your life is all about you being at the center, you're going to spend everything and find that all of that you've gotten is, 
lost in tinsel and string. And then he says these words. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Those are scary words. I see this as kind of like choose your own mystery. This is the ending like that movie I scroll by on Netflix, John Dies at the End. Never watched it, but I assume John dies at the end. This is a bad ending. And Jesus tells Peter how his story is going to end. That it's not going to be good. And yet Peter chooses the path. The path of putting Jesus at the center. Why would he do that? Because Peter had found a better hope in Jesus. That in that hope, in Jesus was the one thing, the only thing that he needed. And as long as he had Jesus, he had everything. Jesus is the hope and the love that you need in your life. It is the one thing that will not fail, will not fade. And so when you are soaked in the disappointments of false hopes, Jesus comes to reboot your system, reboot your heart and your life, and to give you a greater hope himself. To anchor your heart to something bigger, something better, something greater. A light that is growing, a glorious light that's beyond anything else. A light that will hold you through the calm and through the storm and every high and every low. A place where you can anchor your hope. And it's in Him. A hope that is beyond the walls of this world. It's as if Peter is hearing these words. As if we're hearing these words that Mike read a few moments ago from Isaiah when Jesus reinstates Peter and reinstates you and me. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Simon, son of John. He who formed you, Peter. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. Peter, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jesus comes to reboot your system. And he says these words to you. You are created and redeemed by your Savior so that you can have something greater to anchor your love and your hope to. Amen.